want to just take a brief minute and bring everybody up to speed. If you haven't been here in a couple of weeks um, or you don't read your emails, um, uh, you, you might not know that on January 1st, we are going to be entering into a new season as a church. And uh, God's been speaking to us in a lot of really cool ways through the Word of God. And one of the passages that's really been screaming at us is, is Psalm 133, verse 1. It says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And we sent out a video with an email uh, where we went into a ton of detail, a ton of the why, a ton of the, the heart behind our new season, which is we're not going to be meeting in two locations. We're going to be meeting in one location. And that one lo location is going to be Juan Navarro High School. And uh, we're, we are excited for this. And yes, it's a, it's a wild, crazy change. And um, especially when we have facilities and all this stuff. But man, I just want to say, I, I love being with a people of God that are like, you know what? We want to be where God is moving and we want to do what God is speaking. Regardless if it looks like it makes sense, we want to go with him. And uh, right after church this morning, uh, Chris and I and a few of our leaders will be in the youth room uh, to answer any questions that you might have that have come up as you've been processing this information, or if you're just hearing this for the first time, um, and you're like, wow, we also have on our website an FAQ sheet that you can look at where we answer uh, a bunch of questions that we've found to be the most commonly asked, uh, as well as we have hard copies of those FAQs at our Get Connected Here space. Um, so either come talk to us or grab one of those, um, because we really... Uh, want to hear each other on this, you know, and uh, we want you to feel heard. And uh, we also understand, man, that, that transition's never easy. Um, change always equals pain, uh, no matter what we're changing to. And, uh, and so although we are both expectant and excited, we're also holding attention uh, that this carries with it a lot of weight. Um, and so if you've got any questions or anything, please come seek us out. Come talk to Chris and I, or you can email the church or anything like that, uh, because we'd really love um, to talk you through all that God has been speaking to us and our elders uh, over the past couple of months. All right, well, uh, last week we kicked off our Advent season uh, by talking about hope and really leaning into hope is who God is. It's a theme of his character throughout the entirety of the Bible. And when God breaks into our world, hope breaks into our world. Uh, our, our God is a God that comes and turns our mourning into dancing. He's a God of transformation and transition. He turns our mourning into dancing, our sadness into joy, our addiction into freedom, and he brings hope where we feel hopeless. And last week I started actually the same place I want us to start today, Isaiah 9, verse 6. Isaiah 9, verse 6, this was a prophetic declaration spoken about the coming of Jesus hundreds of years before he actually came to earth. And it says this in verse 6, For to us a child is born, 
To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. This scripture built into the people of God hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth in anticipation of his coming. They were like, wow, there's going to be one who's going to come and the government's going to be on him and he's going to be this awesome counselor. He's going to be mighty God, everlasting father and the prince of peace. And, and, and the Jews of the day lived waiting and longing for the arrival of this conquering hero that was going to come in and heal all, right, and, and, and right all and establish his kingdom on the earth. And Isaiah 9 is packed with significance and Power. It's just pointing us to the coming of Emmanuel, the God who is with us. And it tells us again and again that he's coming. And when he comes, all that was broken will be restored. But our understanding of God in light of all that Isaiah 9 is telling us actually also can reveal to us how those who were waiting for him missed him. So many missed Jesus when he was right there. Here he was in the flesh, the conquering hero, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father walking amongst them. And Isaiah 9 in its entirety paints this incredible picture of the one who's coming. He was gonna just like destroy everything that was wrong, turn everything that was dark into light. He was gonna destroy heavy yokes. He was gonna end all wars. Uh, he, he's gonna restore all to those who have lost, to all those who have been oppressed. And the big one, and that a new government was going to be established through him. So, so they were looking for their understanding of who that was. They were looking for their understanding of, of what this conquering new government official who is going to come and be right and just and destroy all things that were wrong and restore everything that had been stolen. And so they found themselves looking often in the wrong places, looking for the wrong things. So, and, and, and look, then and now, then and now, we are looking for a rescuer, oftentimes made in our image. Looking for a rescuer who, who's, who's going to pull us out of all the struggles that we find us in. Looking for that quick fix that's going to shift all that feels broken and, and turn it into what is right. And in turn, we can miss Emmanuel, the God who rescues us, protects us, fights for us, and saves us in, in the struggles that we are in. See, we want out of the struggles that we're in. We want out of the hard. We want out of the difficulty. And sometimes God does pull us out. But every time God meets us in. I've said this so many times, but Jesus' coming gave us access to him. It gave us access 
to him. His, his death, burial, and resurrection gave us access to him, the living God, and it's his nearness, and it's the access that we have to him that brings us these, these, this hope, this peace, this joy, this love that he has given to us in the midst of our lives. Yes, our God is a deliverer. Can I get an amen? Yes, he pulls us up out of the miry clay. Yes, he sets our feet on a firm place to stand. Yes, our God is a God of victory, and at his name, every knee on earth and under the earth will bow down and worship him. He is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and the prince of peace. And it is his great love for us. It is out of his great love for us that he has come to deliver us from what we are in and sometimes meet us in what we are in. He's the God that holds within him the power to, in an instant, speak peace to a storm. And he is also the God who is at peace in the storm. He's the God who holds the power to deliver us from and to meet us in. He's Emmanuel. He's God who's with us, the God who turns our mourning into dancing. He brings love in the middle of shame. And he will always be the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and the prince of peace. Somebody say amen. amen. In Luke 2, verse 10, Jesus' birth announcement, right? This, this, was, this was before we had those little cards that we could send everybody, you know, the picture of your baby and, and the address of where they can send you money. Right? Jesus' birth announcement, Luke 2, says... That here, here comes the, the conquering hero, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the one who will deliver us from and in all. This is his entrance into the world. But the angel said to them, these shepherds who were just hanging out, do not be afraid for I bring you good news that will cause. Somebody say cause. I will bring you, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah. He's the one that was prophesied about in Isaiah 9. He's the one that you have been waiting for, and he is the Lord. The angel said, I bring you good news that's going to cause something to happen in you. This news of Jesus' coming is going to cause joy to happen in all the people. Jesus comes, it causes something. Jesus breaks into the world, it causes something. There is a response that happens in us that is not voluntary. And that thing that happens in us, the angels say, is joy. That this good news is going to cause great joy for all the people. Look, I, I've, I've said this a million times. This is my favorite part of the year. Y'all know that. I, I love me some Christmas. I, I, but it's also one of the most challenging parts of the year. Right? Uh, let, let's just, because you've got to find the perfect gift for people. And the older you get, the harder that gets. You realize that? It's easy to buy a kid something. It's tough to buy your wife something. You know, it's like, what, what, 
this is this, maybe it's hard. Like it's really, really hard. I love it and I hate it. Right? Let's just take a poll. How many of you have already started shopping? Bless you. Bless you. I am not you. I need the pressure. Right? Anybody else? Anybody else need the pressure? I like to put it to you like this. Anybody else like to leave room for the Spirit of God to speak? All the godly people in the house, right? Like, I need that last minute heat. I, I need to be running around town trying to get everything at the same time when there is no time, right? I, I need December 23rd to be tickling my back, right? Going, the stores will be closed tomorrow. You must make a decision today, right? And the thing is, is that no pressure, no diamonds. Greatness has come. Right? Greatness is, I can't argue with results. I've done well. It's cost me a lot. But, but I have been able to, to make it happen. And look, I love giving gifts. I lo- and, and, and there's nothing like giving gifts to your little kids. Okay? Little kids at Christmas, man. It is just like, wow. It is so fun. We bought our Christmas tree on Friday. And we were leaving the place where we bought it. And there was a family, and, you know, the mom and dad, they were so, like, young and thin and beautiful, you know. And they, is this irritating? And then they, and they had, like, like, a four-year-old little boy and a two-year-old little boy. And then the mom is pregnant with number three, and they're all matching, you know. They all have, like, their matching flannels on, you know, and they're going to pick out the tree. And these little boys are, like, so amped. They are freaking out, like, and the dad pulls the tree out, and, and the little boy's like, it is huge, you know, like, and you're just like, oh, and Liz literally starts crying, and it takes, like, everything in me to not go to them and be like, savor this, you know, as my kids drive off, and they're like, are we finally done, you know, and they're like, we're going to go to Dutch Bros, you know what I'm saying, like, okay, we love you too, and Liz and I are like, driving off with the Christmas tree in the truck, and we're crying, listening to Christmas music. We're like, where did the time go, you know? And Liz is like, we should have bought their tree. I was like, I know. I wanted to just go to them and say, I know you're tired, but just you, it's, you save it, you know? Like, I, I love little kids at Christmas. I love watching little kids experience presents at Christmas. That excitement, that, that just like that pure joy and we lived in Seattle at the time when Sophie was really small. I think she was maybe like three. And uh, Liz had found this like really cool kind of antique vintage kitchen thing. And Sophie loved to help in the kitchen. And so Liz was like, oh, this would be so perfect. We can put it in the kitchen and she can like cook with me. And it was so cute. It was awesome. And so, of course, because I'm last minute, I didn't even think about opening the box to see how complex the assembly process was going to be for this beautiful antique kitchen until like 10 o'clock on Christmas Eve. And we had like, you know, these visions of gander of it. It wasn't there and then it's there, you know, and she walks in and, you know, and, and so I, I opened this thing up at like 10 o'clock and I'm like, oh no. You know, I mean, this is like, this is going to be a long time, right? Like the magic of the moment left me at about midnight, right? I was, magic had left, frustration had come, right? I'm up building this thing till like two, three in the morning, 
right? I'm exhausted. I, I, you know, I finally get in bed, wake up early. You know, Sophie takes super little at the time. And, and Sophie runs into the living room and she freaks, man. It, it is just like everything we had dreamed of. She is going crazy. She immediately starts to pretend to make me breakfast, you know, and it just, you know, all that fun stuff. You know, and she comes and gives you the coffee and you're like, thank you. And all, uh, and, and I looked at Liz and I'm like, man, we, we, we nailed that. I was like, way to go, babe. You found a great gift. I was like, man, we're feeling, and we, we were so poor at the time, and we had really kind of stretched to make this gift happen. And, and we were just watching Sophie play with it, and we are just like, oh, man, this is worth it, man. It was worth the sacrifice. This was worth it. And then about five minutes afterwards, she had shifted her attention from the kitchen to the wrapping paper. <laughs> if you're a parent, you've experienced this. This is infuriating. When you had spent hours setting something up, and you're like, this is awesome. This is sweet. You didn't even know you wanted this, and I got it for you because I knew you would love this. And then minutes, minutes, not days, minutes, it's, okay, I'm done with the kitchen. Now I'm into the box. Right? Oh, cool. This wrapping paper is so crinkly. Now, here's the thing. Like, I wasn't just surprised by this, although I shouldn't have been. I was angered by this. Like, I was mad. My, my, my Christmas spirit was gone. I was like, the heck with this, right? This, like, there's no way. You know, you know how much that cost me? Time, money. But here's the thing. I shouldn't have been surprised at all. Because people, big and small, old and young, are horrible at identifying what's really going to make us happy and content. We are horrible at it. And so we move from new thing to new thing. And we will leave good things for trash. Because the trash is new. And we hope that maybe the new thing, maybe, maybe the new thing is going to take care of the boredom I feel, the sadness I'm overwhelmed by, the depression I can't escape, the fear that's driving me crazy, the anxiety that's keeping me up at night, the disappointment of all that didn't happen that I feel. And we all do this, right? We, we start chasing, trying to, to deal with this hole that's in us that, that comes up, right, when, when the distractions go away, when the phone's off, if you can do it, when the TV's not on, when you are left to yourself, you will feel the hole. And all of us will go to great lengths to deal with that. And we will chase this feeling of happy that we experience sometimes when things are new. And in our pursuit to move from misery to happy, it oftentimes leads to a boat wake of more pain and more destruction as people will leave everything, good things, will leave everything that they have, including family, including their spouse, their children, because they want to feel happy because we think we can find it we think it's somewhere out there like it's it, it, it's got to be 
There's got to be something that's going to, to fill this space in me, this place where, where I can't feel anything but misery. And, and so we live thinking like, okay, if I can change what's around me, I can change how I feel about me. And so we will change who we wake up next to because we're like, okay, if the problem is out there, then my pain has everything to do with what's out there. And so we'll go, I'll change who I'm waking up next to. I can change that. And and maybe when I do that, I will not feel all the pain, disappointment, frustration, anxiety that I'm feeling right now because what's out there is going to make me feel happy in here. And so we'll change jobs. We'll change cities. We'll change spouses in this attempt to try to fill the hole, fill fill the gap that, that we're experiencing in our lives, just trying to stumble upon this feeling of, of, of happy, of, of joy. And I, I think we're all just on a treadmill, just getting exhausted and going nowhere, looking for something in the wrong place. Because we think that happiness is something that happens in us by what is around us. We think that what's happening out here is what affects what's going on in here. But what we're actually longing for is this great joy that only comes when Jesus breaks into our world. And, And happiness can happen when we get something new, yes. But joy has nothing to do with what's happening around us, it comes because Jesus came to us. And our understanding of what we're looking for has been distorted by sin and selfishness and greed and fear because happiness comes and goes. It does not last. We'll move from our our dream mini kitchen to wrapping paper that is on the floor because if your joy is connected to what's going on out here, it's fleeting and it always leaves you wanting. It always leaves you seeking. But when Jesus breaks into our world, it causes It causes a lasting joy because it's rooted in who he is and it's not affected by what is happening around us with Jesus. What's happening around us is affected with what's going on in us. The declaration of Jesus' coming caused a great joy to all the people. Yeah, we could feel happy. And, you know, we can feel happy when we experience joy. But in Jesus, we can know joy even when we don't feel happy. I don't know if y'all are ready for that. That's a good one. That's a life changer. You, 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 you can feel happy when you experience joy. But with Jesus, you can know joy even when you don't feel happy. Meaning that that the joy that that comes from Jesus, that Jesus causes, transcends our circumstances. It's, It's bigger than our experiences because real joy is not an emotion, it's a belief. It's a belief. 2 Corinthians 8. 
2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. What's happening here in this passage that we're going to be jumping into is we're jumping into a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, one of the main leaders in the early church, and he was writing it to a church in Corinth to let them know about the end-of-year giving campaign that they were focusing on. 100% what's happening here. Paul is raising money for the church in Jerusalem. So he's reaching out to this, the church in Corinth, and, and he is saying, hey, you know, look, we, 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 we need to take care of these guys uh, be, because the Christians in Jerusalem have gone through war, they've gone through famine, they've gone through persecution, and, and, and they had become very in need, and they had fallen into some really, really hard times. And although Paul, who spent most of his time building the church outside of Jerusalem, he cared deeply for the church that was still there. And the truth of the matter is that there were some real ethnic tensions and hurdles that needed to be climbed for the church in Corinth to care for the church in Jerusalem. Because the church in Jerusalem... For most of their upbringing, until Jesus came and completed what they were searching for, had been taught that the Gentiles, those that were outside of the Jewish family, that were outside of Jerusalem, were not just dangerous, they were dirty. To interact with them, to engage with them, would make you suspect at best. You would have to go through a cleansing process, even if you just engaged with them. And again, the heart of that custom was that God was carving out for himself a people on the earth that would look different, smell different, and act different. And the sin in the people of God created the division of the Jews and the Gentiles, not the heart of God. The Jews were always supposed to be a beacon of a people that encountered God, and it wasn't to separate them from others. It was to be a hope picture of what God, life with God looked like. But in their sin and in their distortion and in their fear and in their own junk, it had turned into an ethnic division. And so now Paul is reaching out to a Gentile church in Corinth saying, hey, would you take care of this church in Jerusalem that is filled with Jews? And this is what he wrote. In verse 8, he says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of their very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. I don't know if anybody has ever watched Sesame Street, but there's a song that they sing where they're like, they put up a picture of like all red balloons and then one blue balloon. And they're like, one of these things does not match the other. Y'all know that song? Like... One of these things does not match the, right? And they're like, well, which one is it, you know? And they look and they're like, well, that one is red and that one is red, but that one is blue. Which one is not like the others, right? That, that real slow voice. Those of you with, with little kids know that voice well. 
We could play the same, we could sing the same song about this verse. Which one doesn't fit? Overflowing joy? Rich generosity? In the middle of severe trial and extreme poverty. This verse, this verse changed my life. I was like, what? What, what had they encountered? What, this church in Macedonia, what had they encountered that, that, that it said of them and in the midst of the severe trial, their overflowing joy, overflowing. That means it was coming out of them. Paul was like, it was spilling out. They were so filled with joy. And in their extreme poverty, they just, it just welled up in rich generosity. And this severe trial, this was no joke. This, this is a mega, mega trial. This trial is speaking of right here that Macedonia had gone through was a famine that decimated the people and the country. Destroyed it. It was so bad, it would have been one of those famines where everyone knew someone who had died of starvation. Everyone knew someone who had died of starvation in the midst of that, their overflowing joy. In the midst of knowing someone who had died from starvation, something that's preventable with food that they couldn't access, that they didn't have. In the midst of that, their overflowing joy. Can we, can we just all agree? That famine and starvation and suffering and death and pain and loss and hopelessness would not feel good. I'm sure people were not just like lining up, calling Gray, looking for a house in Macedonia at this time. Macedonia was not on the top cities to live in list. People were leaving Macedonia to save their lives. But those who were there, the church that had remained, was filled with overflowing joy and extreme generosity. Joy is not something that happens to you. It's something that happens in you. Joy is something that happens in you. Joy is a belief. It's not an emotion. It's, it's something that, that we can encounter regardless of what we are encountering. It's something that we can experience regardless of what we are feeling. And so although I'm sure the emotions of the people were going up and down as they were working through the reality of what they were going through, their joy remained overflowing it was unshakable because Jesus was with them in what they were enduring. Remember, the angels declared, Luke 2, verse 10, I bring you good news that will cause, it's going to cause great joy for all the people. Jesus' coming to earth caused a shift. The news of his arrival caused a great joy for all people. The God who is with us causes something to change in us so that great joy will flow out of us. 
The God who is with us changes us, and it allows great joy to flow out of us. And Jesus' nearness changes how we see what's happening around us. Jesus' nearness changes it, right? What we believe will disrupt what we feel. You hear what I'm saying? What, what we believe will disrupt what we feel. If we really believe that Jesus is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace, the everlasting father, if we really believe that Jesus is looking out for the good of those who love him, if we believe that he really is God and there's nothing that's happening on earth or in our lives, that he is not in the middle of moving in and through, if we really believe that, that's a disruptive belief. That will disrupt how you feel about things if we really believe it to be true. And we see in 2 Corinthians 8, when Paul is like bragging on the Macedonian church, right? In the midst of their severe trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty, it welled up in rich generosity. He actually goes on in verse five and he shows us how they were going through this hell and were unaffected by it. He says this in verse five, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord. They gave themselves first to the Lord. If, if we give ourselves first to the Lord, that will determine how we will experience what we are going through. What you give yourself first to will affect how you experience what you are facing. If you give yourself first to fear, then you will be fearful. If you give yourself first to the lies that the enemy is telling you about who you are and who he is, then those lies are going to affect how you experience what you're going through. What we give ourselves first to will determine how we experience what we're going through. We have to give ourselves first to the Lord. If we're having a joy problem, it's not about what's happening around us. It's about what we've given ourselves first to. In the midst of your severe trial, have you given yourself first to the Lord? Your extreme poverty, have you given yourself first to the Lord? Or have you given yourself first to the fear that those things often create because if you give yourself first to the Lord then your overflowing joy will be greater than your severe trial that your generosity will be greater than your extreme poverty because what we give ourselves first to determines how we experience what we're going through Matthew 6 33 Jesus said it this way seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well First, give yourself to the Lord. The, the psalmist kind of continues this thought in Psalm 30, verse 5. It says that weeping may stay for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. What you give yourself first to will determine how you are experiencing what you are going through. You know, there's a moment in the Old Testament, uh, I'll end with this, where the, the city of God is being rebuilt this guy named Nehemiah is, is leading this mission to see the walls around Jerusalem restored to restore the city. 
And they were devastated and the people were coming and they were working and they were being attacked as they were working and they had to at times build with their left hands and hold a sword in their right hands because of the pressure of everything was going as they were co-laboring with God to restore what had been broken. And Nehemiah early on sees everyone and he says, man, I think everyone's, you know what? I don't think we've given ourselves first to the Lord. We're doing the work of God, but we haven't given our hearts first to God. And he says, stop, everybody stop, bring the priest. I want him to read the the covenant to us. I want him to read the Torah to us. Have him read the words of God to us. And it it says that, that in Nehemiah 8 verse 10, that that day was sacred to our God. Because they, they were hearing the truth of who God was. They were, they were being reminded of who God was so that they could put God first. Not their uncertainty first. Not their fear first. Not their lack first. Not the work that needed to be done first. But to put the Lord first. First we need to seek the Lord. Because what you seek first is going to determine how you experience what you're going through. And Nehemiah says, man, we have to first see the living God through the word of God. You know what happened when the people heard it? They just began to weep. They just started crying, falling on their faces, just like repenting because they were realizing how far they had fallen. How many things that they had put before the Lord. How many things that they have allowed to get into their belief system that was contrary to the truth of who God was. How many things that they had become normalized in that was not normal according to the word of God. And they were just grieving and they were like, God, we've gone so far. We've, we've, we haven't been putting you first. We haven't been seeking you first. And Nehemiah stands up and this is what he says. As everyone's weeping, as there's this kind of like this, this whole city returning, orienting their heart to God, saying we're going to seek first the Lord. We're going to give you all the glory. We're going to give you all the praise. And they're just overwhelmed. Nehemiah says this in verse 10. Do not grieve. Do not grieve. Can you imagine standing up? There's all these people weeping, crying. Nehemiah stands up. Do not grieve. Stop for the joy of the Lord is your strength. When you put God first, when God breaks into your world and it causes a great joy to come out of you, it does something in you, it just evokes joy. Nehemiah says, The joy of the Lord is our strength. Jesus' nearness is an atmosphere shifter. Isaiah 61, 30 years after Jesus came to earth as a baby, he was born, Luke 2, this birth announcement, here he is, mighty God, the the incredible, wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, the everlasting father, 30 years after his birth, he stands up and he opens the scroll, and it's Isaiah 61, and he begins to read it as, as a witness to everyone who was there, It was being fulfilled in front of their eyes. And he was declaring, this is who I am. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The good news that he has come that caused a great joy to happen in all the people. Jesus is saying, it's me. I'm the one. 
The Spirit of God is on me, anointing me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me, watch this, he's the God of transition and transformation to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captive, to release from darkness the prisoner, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And we enter into this scripture only by seeking first the Lord. By saying, this is what I'm going to bathe myself in. That he's the God that turns my mourning into dancing. This is what I'm going to wash myself in. I'm not going to wash myself in in the lies of the enemy. I'm not going to wash myself in in my own failures and shortcomings. I'm going to wash myself in and I'm going to seek first the Lord. The God who does all, heals all, restores all, and changes all. Church, if we can orient our heart towards him, joy will come out of us regardless of what we're going through. Regardless of how hard the season it is that we're facing, causes joy to come out of you. It causes joy. It just happens when you encounter him for who he is. Jesus is coming to the earth, gives us access to this atmosphere-shifting belief that will flip the emotions that we're feeling with the truth of what we are believing. It will flip it. It will change it. And I'm believing that this morning, this is a moment in all of our hearts where we say we're no longer going to wash ourselves. We're not going to put first our fear. We're not going to put first our anxiety. We're not going to put first our weakness. We're not going to put first. We're going to put first the Lord. We're going to seek first the Lord and everything else will be given everything else will be added all the provision that we need will be be supplied because the God who turns mourning into dancing turns hopelessness into hope we're going to seek him first because what we believe is bigger than what we see stand to your feet man if you're here this morning and you need a belief flip you need a shift you need a belief flip where you haven't been seeking first the Lord. You haven't been seeking first the things of God. And you're just like, oh, man, I have been seeking first my fear. I have been seeking first my my lack. I have been seeking first my need. And the invitation this morning is come back. Come back to seek him. To say, Lord, you're number one. You're what I want. You're what I desire. You're what I dream of. And as we worship, man, if you need to come forward, we're going to have some leaders up here. We're just going to pray for you. We're just believing that God wants to meet you. The God who turns your morning into dancing. The God who came within himself as good news that will cause a great joy in all people. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your nearness. Thank you for your hope. Thank you for your life. And so Lord, we just say we come to you today and we say, God, we want to seek first the Lord. We want to seek first the Lord that regardless of what we're facing, a severe trial, Lord, extreme poverty, that overflowing joy would come from within us, God, and rich generosity would flow from us because what we're facing has nothing to do with what you're doing in us, God. What we seek first will determine how we experience what we're going through, Lord. So we want to seek first the Lord. In Jesus' name, let's worship.